I wonder if life was really just that easy and you could just scoot through all of your relationships like a Nescafe 43. Wouldn't you just love that? If you could just pick up your cup and you could just fill it up with some coffee and all of your relationships would kind of just work out just like that. Would you like that? Just as easy. Imagine if you could just get on your scooter and scoot across the road because that's what life is really like and you could make it to the other side, you could nod to the neighbours on the way and make a deep connection and then when you get over to uh, that friend of yours who's just had a little child, you can sit down and have a really relaxing time amidst all of the busy, busy. Wouldn't you like that? Just take a cup and it happens as quickly and as easily as that. But it doesn't, does it? It all shifts. And we can operate like ships in the night often because of the busy, busy. That's one of the consequences of lives that are busy, busy. Some of you might be wondering, where do we get this idea of ships in the night from? Well, it comes from a poem about 150 years ago, and it was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and it goes like this. Ships that pass in the night and speak each other in passing, only a signal shown and a distant voice in the darkness. So on the ocean of life we pass and speak one another, only a look and a voice then darkness again, and silence. I wonder if that's what it can be like sometimes in the significant relationships in your own life. Perhaps you're feeling a little bit like this coming to Christmas time. You're kind of always waving, always wanting to connect, but never really feeling as though you do. You pass each other in the night. You kind of send out a signal, and you hope to connect, but it doesn't really happen. And as the person passes you by, the moment is lost. This morning, I want to talk about busy, busy. Let's talk because it's tough to actually navigate life's busy spaces. And this morning, I'd love to say to you, I want you to slow down. But in our culture right now, that is like a death. Have you noticed that? In fact, I'd like you to try that this Christmas time. This, this would be really good. You, you'll, you'll like this. Just how enculturated the busy, busy is. Matt said last week, he said, you ask someone, how you doing? And they'll say, I'm busy. So this Christmas time, what I'd like you to do is try this line. When someone says, how you doing? Just give them this line. You know what? Man, I... I am flat out like a lizard lying in the desert. I tell you what, I am so chill. Life is so cruisy right now. I just can't get enough of this just being relaxed. Try it. Try it. See what happens. I have killed conversations with a, a response like that. People just don't know what to do with it. They have absolutely no idea what to do with just someone who says, my life is just at a really steady pace. I'm enjoying it right now. How about you? They have nothing to respond to. So I'm not going to say this morning you need to slow down because that would be like a death in our culture. But the other thing I'm reluctant to say about slowing down is this, is that we can move from boom to bust really quickly. Have you noticed that? There's high intensive times in our lives where we just feel like we have to connect and do all the different tasks that are required of us. And then what we do is we turn into couch potatoes. We come and we sit down and in that time of unwinding, we just move from this concept of boom to absolute bust. And I don't want to say that because I'm kind of not saying that that is the operative way, the most productive way the two operate in our lives, but that's how we often do. So what I want to talk about this morning is amidst the busy, busy, how do we cultivate meaningful connections in our lives? Because it's the meaningful connections that actually enable us to traverse some of the busy, busy seasons, in fact, to actually carry us through them. Brené Brown, she says this, connection is the essence of human existence 
providing meaning in and for our lives. What I want you to do for a moment is think about some relationship, not just a romantic one, but a relationship in your life of a significant other that's served you, created a safe place for you, that's significantly spoken into your life. Think about a relationship. I wonder what it is about that relationship that enabled you to feel like you were secure, to feel like you were safe, to feel like that they added value to your life and you became a better person around them. You just wanted to be near them. What was it about that relationship that was so powerful in your life? Brenny Brown, she says, Connection is the essence of human existence providing meaning for our lives, but also this, we are wired for story. Stories are only a form of connection when someone is listening and hearing us. Have you ever felt not being listened to in a relationship? In fact, have you found yourself this week mouthing the words, you're not listening to me? Maybe with a little bit more intensity, you're not listening to me. And the other person replies and says, of course I am, I can hear exactly what you're saying. But what the person's trying to convey to you is that you're not really getting what I'm trying to tell you. You see, Brené Brown would say there's a whole other subsurface of ideas and emotions that are going on that if we fail to connect with them, we fail to actually connect indeed. You can hear the words, but you're actually not connecting with what the words are trying to convey. Often it's not the words that are spoken, but it's the connection to the emotions that's most powerful. Dr. Susan Johnson, she says this, one of the key things in our relationships that we can miss and operate like ships in the night is not because we're so busy, busy, but because in our busy, busy, we're blind to the opportunities to connect with other people around us. She says this, emotions are the music of the dance between couples in a relationship. Pushed further, Dr. John Gottman, his relationship counsellor, Working in this field, in this sphere, he says this, every day people are trying to make emotional bids with each other, with us. Work colleagues, students, people at home, friends, neighbours, all at different times making emotional bids. A bid can be a question, a gesture, a touch, a look, any single expression that says, I want to connect with you. And we miss them because we're not hearing and listening for the right things. We can often function as though we are blind to what's going on around us. So you can imagine coming home on a long day and the conversation might go like this. How was your day today? I don't want to talk about it. Sounds as if it was pretty tough. I said, I don't want to talk about it. Well, fine. If you're going to be like that, then you might as well just have stayed back at work. I'm, going to, I'm tired of tiptoeing around and, and, and walking around. It's like you're on, I'm on eggshells all the time. Fine, I will go back to work then. Fine then. Fine. It's an example of someone who reached out to try and do a bid, but the person missed entirely the connection that they were really seeking for. Or maybe between a parent and a child. How did your exam go today? I was thinking of you. Don't you start. You sound like my teachers. Sounds like you feel there's a lot of pressure on you right now. You don't even know the half of it. Well, maybe once you've unpacked, we could talk a little because I know you've been working really hard these past weeks. 
I've been trying and trying, but sometimes I just don't get it right in my head. I know. I know that feeling too. It can be frustrating when you've worked so hard and you don't always see the results you've been hoping for. An example of someone reaching out in their emotions and someone else sensing that there's things going on deep below the surface that's more than just about the words. How do we help connect in those moments so that we don't push one another away and rather draw other people in? Or maybe you're in your workspace and the person next to you has firmly but gently thumped the table in frustration. And you're thinking to yourself, what do I do? Do I engage in this moment or I just ignore it? So you take a chance and you step out because you see them making a bid and you don't quite understand it. Everything all right? Is everything all right? If they gave us equipment that worked, it would be helpful. Yeah, my computer's going a bit slow today too. It can be frustrating. Frustrating is an understatement. I've got a gazillion of deadlines piling up and no extra IT support at all. How long has it been like this for you? Weeks. They keep promising, but they never send anyone to resolve it. Meanwhile, there's more and more and more. Sounds like you're feeling overloaded and a bit unappreciated. Yeah. It's just that at times I feel like I'm doing this whole job alone on my own. Well, maybe after I finish my work, I might be able to give you a hand a little bit so we can work through it maybe together. You see, there's an example of someone who sensed that there's a bid and there's more going on beneath the surface. And so intuitively, they pry and they nudge and they press their way forward because they're sensing that there's something more going on than just the immediate circumstances around them. I experienced this in my own relationships at home and particularly with a particular person that I do care for and love when sometimes she's feeling like I've been missing all of those emotional bids, she says the four words of pain. And the words are this. We need to talk. Oh, no, not the talk. Anything but the talk. I don't know. I don't want to do the talk. I don't know how long the talk goes for. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know. I don't want to talk anything but the talk. Has anyone had the talk before? Someone else has said to you, you know what? I'm not feeling as though we're connecting at all. And so in a bid, they actually say it as it is. And they mention the four painful words because you realize in that moment that you've been missing each other like ships in the night. See, what the person's really trying to say is that I'm feeling disconnected, and I'd like to connect. And what I discover is that when you're able to connect at that deeper emotional level, just in small ways, a gesture, a look, a conversation, what's going on for you, it makes a profound difference in the connections and the forms and the bonds, even in the busiest times of our lives, can be rich and deep. But it's not only our blindness. I'm just going to go back for one there. I hope I haven't messed that up, Ollie. There's not only our blindness that we can miss, it's also that we can miss the response in the way in which we do it. And in fact, if you're sitting here this morning, there's a little sheet underneath your chair, I forgot to say, that you can pick up and you can follow some of these things with us so that you can take them home and apply them in your own experiences as well. Have a listen to Brené Brown as she talks about one of the other ways in which we can miss one another, not only by being blind, but in the way in which we respond, and in particular when it comes to... Blame. How many of you are blamers? 
How many of you, when something goes wrong, the first thing you want to know is whose fault it is? Hi, my name is Brene. I am a blamer. <laughs> Let me just tell you this quick story. So this is a couple of years ago when I first realized the magnitude to which I blame. I'm in my house. I have on white slacks and a pink sweater set, and I'm drinking a cup of coffee in my kitchen. It's a full cup of coffee. I drop it on the tile floor. It goes into a million pieces, splashes up all over me. And the first, I mean, a millisecond after it hit the floor, right out of my mouth is this, damn you, Steve. <laughs> Who is my husband? Because let me tell you how fast this works for me. So Steve plays water polo with a group of friends. And the night before, he went to go play water polo. And I said, hey, make sure you come back at 10, because you know, I can never fall asleep into your home. And he got back like at 10.30. And so I went to bed a little bit later than I thought. Ergo, my second cup of coffee that I probably would not be having had he come home when we discussed. Therefore, and so the rest of that story is I'm cleaning up um, the kitchen. Steve calls, caller ID. I'm like, hey. He's like, hey, what's going on, babe? What's going on? Um, so I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I'm cleaning up the coffee that spilled all, like dial tone. Because he knows. How many of you go to that place when something bad happens, the first thing you want to know is whose fault is it? I'd rather it be my fault than no one's fault. Because why? Why? Because it gives us some semblance of control. But here, if you enjoy blaming, this is where you should stick your fingers in your ear and do the na 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 thing because I'm getting ready to ruin it for you. Because here's what we know from the research. Blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship with accountability. Accountability, by definition, is a vulnerable process. It means me calling you and saying, hey, my feelings were really hurt about this and talking. It's not blaming. Blaming is simply a way that we discharge anger. People who blame a lot seldom have the tenacity and grit to actually hold people accountable because we expend all of our energy raging for 15 seconds and figuring out whose fault something is. And blaming is very corrosive in relationships and it's one of the reasons we miss our opportunities for empathy. Because when something happens and we're hearing a story, we're not really listening. We're in the place where I was making the connections as quickly as we can about whose fault something was. Ouch. Are there anyone here who can fall into the blame game? In fact, there's four things that usually kill connection in someone's life. First one is this, blaming. This idea that you know this is all your fault. Or the second one, judging, which is, comes right behind the blaming. What on earth were you thinking when someone tells you something about that, what they're experiencing? Or maybe the third one, the avoiding one. Um, someone's just shared something deep with you, a little bit more personal connection. and Want some ice cream? Or maybe the fourth one. This is the worst of all. The people who, when you've shared something with, they just want to fix it all. Have you thought about doing it this way? Because if you did it this way, it wouldn't happen to you like that. When all the time what you're really wanting to do is share something deeper in your own experience so that you feel and sense a connection. 
In fact, Brené Brown goes on to say the way in which we can actually connect back with each other from being ships in the night to actually connecting at a deeper level is when we experience a sense of vulnerability. We call it around here at New Community authenticity. That sense in which someone can share something about personal, about their own lives that actually is revealed in such a way that judgment is suspended, blaming is not the first step forward and people can encounter and experience a sense of connection because they've said something that's personal. I wonder if you've ever been in a group before. Maybe you've been in a life group before around your community and you've sensed that our group's going along at a certain pace but we're never actually going any deeper. We seem to be skimming along but we're not really forging any depth until one day someone in your group decides to be a little courageous, and they share something about their life that is not going well. Well, I tell you what, when someone does do that, they're vulnerable. It's as though there's an audible exhale that comes from the group. (sighs) Finally, someone's prepared to be honest in our group. And that cracks open all different other kinds of opportunities for people to share their own stuff because they've been ashamed that if they did, those other things would quickly happen. And what you discover in those groups is that that very quickly takes you to deeper levels because you've made connections in meaningful moments about meaningful things, and we've given each other permission to do it. Brenny Brown goes on to talk about this as being the difference between empathy and sympathy. Have a listen. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy. Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is... Ooh, it's bad, uh huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice because, in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations 
is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. To be really empathetic, it requires a perspective taking, a powerful question. I wonder what that was like for you. To be empathetic is staying out of judgment. That must have been a huge burden to carry all alone. To empathize, recognizing emotions in other people, I can see this has caused you pain. It's about connecting those emotions or communicating them. It sounds like you're feeling a little bit lost. And I love these powerful words. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Now think back again about that person that I asked you to consider, that significant other in your life that lifted you, that made you feel safe, that made you feel as though you were a better person. I wonder if it's because they weren't blind to the emotional bids that you made or blamed when you shared something deeper, but provided empathy for you in that moment. I wonder, are you someone who empathizes with people? You know, we're coming up to Christmas time. And Jesus' followers all over the world celebrate the birth of the Son of God. That God enfleshed himself and came to earth. That he did that because he wanted to make a deep, deep connection. He didn't stand from afar and just judge, although there was judgment to be had. He didn't stand from afar and just blame and do nothing about it. They celebrate that God came to earth to rescue and redeem and restore a humanity that was kind of doing its own thing and saying, God, I don't care who you are, but would you get out of my life? I want to do things my way. And then this is the world we created. But God stepping into that brink wanted to defeat the powers of death and of sin itself that can enslave us and set us free so that we might know him. The deepest, the most powerful, the most richest connections we can have in our lives are ones that come from our creator. There's a passage in the Bible and it goes like this in Romans. A writer by the name of Paul said this. But this is how God demonstrates his own love for us. The Messiah, Jesus, died for us whilst we were still sinners. This is a profound truth. The sense that there's a God who made you and created you and loves you. How do I know that he loves? Is because he didn't stand from afar and blame. He didn't stand from afar and judge. He connected deeply and gave of himself so that when he died, he made a pathway back to the maker himself. There's a profound story in, in the Bible that Jesus tells. It's a story about a loving father who had two sons. One of the sons, the younger one, came to him one day and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. He didn't say it in those words, but he meant it. Because he asked his father for the inheritance that would come to him after he died. 
The outrageous thing about the response is that the father actually divided up the property between the two boys and he gave the inheritance to the younger that was coming to him. Well, a few days after the story says that he actually just sold it all up and he took the cash and he went and he went as far away from his dad as he possibly could. Because he believed that with all cashed up, he could actually find the good life, the real life, the, the life-giving life far away from his father. And so he did. Went off to a far-off land, spent all the money on the finest wine, the finest women, the finest fast-paced cars. You name it, he had it, he did it. Until the money ran out. He found himself having to work for hired people because his friends, so-called, had left him. And there he was staring at some pigs, a Jewish boy feeding pigs doesn't get much lower. And even still, because of his hunger, he'd pick up and hold the pods and desire to actually eat them because he was so hungry. <laughs> and then it says this happened. We don't know how or why, but he just came to his senses. That's the curiosity of this passage. Just think, he said to himself, there are all my father's hired hands with plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I know I'm going to get up and go to my father, and I'm going to make him a deal. I'm going to deal my way out of this predicament. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I don't deserve to be called your son any longer, but let's make a deal. Would you make me one of your hired hands? And he got up, and he went to his father. And so the curiosity of this story is how would the father actually respond to the son. While he was still a long way off, it says, his father saw him and he blamed him. You've only got yourself to blame, son. Or he judged him. What on earth were you thinking? Or even more so, he avoided it altogether. Hmm, want some ice cream? No, I didn't. This is what his father's response was. While well, it was still a long way off, his father saw him and his heart was stirred with love and pity and he ran to him and he hugged him and he kissed him. Hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the calf that's been fatted up and kill it and let's eat and have a party. This son of mine was dead and he is alive. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. The power of this story is that it's actually Israel's story, first of all. Israel, God's people, had gone away. They had been sent off to exile because they had turned their backs on God. They'd reflected darkness rather than light. They'd worshipped things of stone and wood and so had been remade powerfully in those images. And there was a whole collapse of their community and culture. And so God sends them away and he brings them back some... 70 years later, and that's his response to them. Your time is up. Forgiveness is to be had. If you turn to me, I'll receive you to myself, just like this father. But then, of course, the story is ours. I'm going to ask the band to come. The story is our story. Because it's also powerfully communicating that there are times in our lives where we've been just like that son. Consciously or unconsciously, we've all said to God at some stage, God, get out of my life. I can do things my way. We call that sin. 
It's that inclination in the human heart to say, God, I want to be just like you and more, and I can find life outside of you. And what does God do? He still loves. So I wonder if you're here this morning, and you're wondering if that God would love you. And his response to you is, he would put a ring on your hand. He'd put shoes on your feet. He would wrap you close and welcome you home. Because he desires connection with you. To rescue you. To redeem you. To wash you clean. So that you might find life in him. I wonder if you're here this morning and you don't know that story of truth. Then why don't you take one of these green booklets with you today? You'll see them at the tables as you go. I'll tell you about how you can connect with the powerful living God. Or maybe you're here and you're a Jesus follower. You've come to experience that in your gift at this Christmas. It's not only one of celebrating the connection God has made with you, but I wonder if he would invite you to be a gift for others. In the busy, busy of the next month, I want to challenge you. Would you be open to, in the busy, busy of life, be available to others without judgment? Be present without remedy. And to be attuned without dismissing. That might be the greatest, most powerful gift you can give someone this Christmas. The availability of your loving presence because the love of God is inside of you and you want to give it away. So you hear the words of this song, I'd invite you to pause. Maybe open up your hands as a sign to God, my heart is open to receive from you. I pray that as you hear the words of this song, you might want to close your eyes and pray a prayer. God, come into my life. God, who is it that I could be present to this Christmas? Will you bring them across my path that I may not be blind to their bid or blame when they do, but be open to forge a deep connection? And he's going to lay some people on your heart and I'd invite you to respond in turn.